0: Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. Well, a question to kick things off today is What is it that makes a story a love story? Is it the characters? Is it the relationships that are built? Is it the actions of those characters? Or is it the end result of the journey that the characters have been on? Today, when I was sort of putting together some thoughts, knowing it was Mother's Day, um, again, I've actually diverted from the series that we were doing. We started a bit of a series of going through one John and and interviewing John. But I wanted to, to diverge a little bit today for Mother's Day. And I'm not going to be speaking directly about mothers, even though one of the main characters in the story we're going to be looking at is a mother. Ultimately, knowing what my mother loved, and knowing what Prudence loves, is a good love story. You know, when I let Prudence have free reign to pick the movie, quite often, it's a, it's a rom-com or a romantic story of some sort. She just enjoys them. She enjoys the, the, the intricacies and the, the journey that people go on in these relationships as they, as they come together or, or build together. Um, Not always my first pick, and please hear me out, I'm not stereotyping that every woman just loves romantic stories and and love stories, but I know about you, I do enjoy a good love story. So that's good enough for me today. So most people wouldn't really, I guess, attribute the Bible to a love story, or to have love stories in it. But the fact is, for me, when I look at the, the scriptures in, in, in totality, it's a love story from God. It's a love story of Him desiring to be in relationship with us. Of Him going to all measures that that relationship can be restored. You know, there, were, there was tragedy, there was, a, there was a drama, there was a complication... He created humankind to to enjoy Him, to be in relationship with Him, and that was wrecked. And the rest of Scripture is God rebuilding and restoring and putting this plan in place of redemption for us. So some people do call the Bible the greatest love story of all, but what we're looking at today, some people actually do call one of the greatest love stories found in Scripture. And it's got double reasonings. I mean, when you look at some commentaries, when they, when they sort of speak about it, they speak that it is just such a concise and simple story. The way it's written, it's, you, know, you can sit down in one sitting and read it. It's only four chapters long. But also because of the imagery and the analogy it is to what and who Christ is. So if you haven't picked up yet, if you if I've, haven't dropped enough hints, we are going to be looking at Ruth. And as I said, it is just a short read. And it's one of those ones that, you know, sit down, read it like a story. Read it from start to finish and just enjoy this journey of these people, these characters that we interact with. But as you do that, reflect on how much it speaks and is the image of Jesus in these people's lives. So let's read to set the scene. I was going to read the first five verses just to to kick us off. So if you do have Bibles there, I encourage you, turn to Ruth with us just after Judges, so it's before the time of the, the monarchy in, in Israel, it's during the period of the Judges, which wasn't a great period if you're familiar with it, just over and over again we have this cycle of you know the Israelites living according to their own choices, and not following God, and that not going well, and people coming in and you know causing headache for them. And so this is during that time, they're not sure exactly when, um, but we can track, because Ruth is actually King David's great-grandmother. And so we see that revealed at the end of the story. And her story, even though it is such a short little portion in the Bible, obviously her life and this this story and this, this, this image that we see had such impact on the Israelite people and had such impact on this idea of who Jesus is is that she gets special mention in the genealogy of Jesus. There's only four women given mention in the genealogy. Other than that, it's all the, the fathers of the, of the family. But Ruth is actually one of four women that gets special mention in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of, sort of saying, well, this is who Jesus came through. And Ruth gets special mention. So let's read. Ruth 1, just going to read the first five verses. It says, "In the day when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons, Melon and Kilon. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah." And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elamech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other woman was named Ruth. About ten years later, though, both Ma- Malon and Kilon died, and this left Naomi alone with her two, without her two sons and her husband. So here's our complication in this great story. Here's our, here's our disaster. And if you did pause just there and left it at that, you, know, you would just go, oh, it's just a tragedy. Now, this poor woman, yeah, she's you know, due, facing famine, you know not able, to, not able to feed themselves and having to leave their homeland. And so they leave Bethlehem and they go into Moab. And Moab was a bit of a neutral territory, but at times hostile as well. So, it's hard to know whether they're welcomed or whether they, you know, we're just going, oh, well, you're just those Israelite people that we don't like too well. You go over there. So, here she is, away from family and what's familiar. She's away from her homeland, that, that, that connection that people have to, to, to home. But she's got a family. But suddenly, her husband is gone. And she's like, well, okay, this is what life dishes out. The two sons get married. But in 10 years' time, they're gone. And it says that she's left alone. And if you're familiar with like Jewish culture and Israelite culture, you know, families did stay together. So even though the, the sons got married, the sons probably lived with the mum and dad. And so all of a sudden, Ruth is just feeling so alone, so isolated. but this is where we start to have these other characters introduced. And so it mentioned there, you know, the the two sons wives, was Orpah and Ruth. And so Naomi obviously is just looking at this, just going, well, what have I got left? And so she gets wind that things are actually better back in Bethlehem. She goes, all right, I'll just head back there. That's where my ties are. That's where my family is. I'll, I'll head back there. But Orpah and Ruth begin to go with her. And Naomi is almost perplexed by this when you read it through. And she's like, no, no, you stay. This is where your family is. Go, go, go back to your families. You can, you can marry, you're young, you can marry again, go. And if, and if that notion of them to stay was purely out of obligation, that first offer to go, they would have gone, oh, yep, cool. All right, let's go. Let's head back to our own families and, and find someone else. But there was obviously something that Ruth sowed in these young women's lives that they wanted to stay. And they actually begged, they sort of said, no, no, let us come with you, let us stay with you. And it was only after a lot of, I guess, argument on Naomi's behalf that Orpah does decide, all right, fine, I'll stay. But it says that Ruth, Cling[s] to her, grabs a hold of her physically, and says, "No, do not make me go." And she says these lines, which are that they're probably the most quoted section out of Ruth, it comes up in weddings and and things like that. But it's just an amazing statement. It's verses seventeen and eighteen. He said, "She says, this is Ruth speaking to Naomi. She says." But Ruth replied, verse 16, sorry. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave, to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's so much deeper than just obligation, isn't it? That's, that's devotion. And yeah, you know, as a mother, because this Naomi obviously mothered these girls. You know, she mothered her sons, she raised her sons. But then for 10 years, these, well, you know, we don't know roughly how long they're married for, but you know, the 10 years they were in Moab, she's known these young ladies and as they've been the the wives to her sons, there's obviously been such a connection, such a relationship built that Ruth is like, no, I'm sticking with you no matter what. So I think that's a you know, that's a that's a ticket on the board, isn't it, for Mother of the Year? You reckon? <laughs> yeah, Naomi obviously sowed seeds and sowed an example in these young girls' lives that just was such a witness that they said, no, I'm willing to give up my culture, my land, my people, my extended family, everything I'm familiar with, to come with you to your land. You know, that's that's devotion. That's, that's witness. If we want to talk about you know, what it means to be a good witness, let's have a look at Naomi. She obviously laid such good seeds in these young girls' lives that they said, no, we're sticking with you. So, Orpah goes back. A little side note for everyone here. Orpah is actually where Oprah got her name. Her mother spelt the name wrong on the birth certificate. She was meant to be Orpah. Her mother got, got the name from the Bible, but on the birth certificate, spelt it wrong, and that's why we have Oprah. Anyway. Side bit of information I picked up somewhere in the nether. Gotta love how these random facts just stick in your brain. So the story continues. They return to Bethlehem. So Naomi coming back to her family, a widow, and Ruth, a Moabite, coming into the land of Israel as a as an outsider, as an alien. And so, as was the custom of that land, there wasn't, you know, Social Security, there wasn't um, widower's pension or anything like that. And so Ruth and Naomi had to try and figure out, oh, how are we going to survive here? And so the land of Israel actually had laws in place and, and practices in place to look after the poor, to look after the widow. And so what Ruth did was that, you know, Naomi was older, obviously, and so she stayed wherever they were living. And Ruth went out into the fields and started gleaming. And this term gleaming was that the farmers, it was practice and, and actually written into law in Leviticus, that the farmers wouldn't strip the field completely, that they'd leave the outer edges, they'd leave the corners of the crop so that the poor could come in and, and, and do their own little bit of harvesting to feed themselves. And so that's, that's what Ruth starts doing. She goes into this field, she follows behind the harvesters, so there's a, there's, a, there's a team of people doing the actual harvest and she just sort of follows along and picks up the scraps and harvests the, the own bits along the edge. Yeah, no help, no real... Sort of supporting that. At times, I'm sure, they got pestered and told her to buzz off or things like that at times. Who knows? But it just so happens, and this is where the, the beauty of the story starts to unravel, it just so happens that this field that she starts to work in is owned by a man named Boaz, who is actually one of uh, Naomi's relatives. And Boaz comes into the field and it's obviously towards the end of the day, and he notices Ruth. And he asks his workers, oh, who's this lady out here gleaming off our fields? And they go, oh, that's, that's Ruth. That's the Moabite girl that, that, that came back with Naomi, your relative. And they say she's been diligent and working hard all day. You know, she's barely taken a break. So they obviously notice something about her that just captured them. And so Boaz approaches her, I'm just going to read a portion. Uh, we're in chapter 2 now, verses 10 to 13. Because Boaz obviously notices something. Obviously, something captures his eye. And so he says to Ruth, he says, Hey, you know, keep coming back to my field. I'm going to make sure you looked after here. I'm going to tell my workers not to bother you. you know, just, just know you can come here and you're welcome here, basically. And this is what Ruth says. It says, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard about how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And she finishes, I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. So Boaz obviously had heard the story of, of Naomi. And seeing that this was the Ruth that everyone had been talking about that had returned with Naomi, he's just like, no. Good on you for what you've done. And this continues. He later shares a meal with her, invites her in you know, with the workers and shares a meal with her. And then after that, he actually instructs his workers. He actually says, hey, deliberately leave some crop. So Ruth has plenty to pick up. And so this goes on for, I don't know for sure, but the, the commentaries I looked at, it says a roughly would have been a period of about three months. It was the barley harvest they went through and then there would have been a wheat harvest as well. And so for a three-month period, Ruth is slowly gleaming and working off Boaz's field and getting plenty. Yeah, it says that when she returned back to Naomi, Naomi was surprised at how much she would harvested. But she said, "Oh, but it's because I'm, I'm on your relative's land, Boaz." And Ruth goes, "Oh, that's a good thing. Keep going there." And we come to the end of the of the season, and it almost comes to a, a bit of a crutch point, if you want to call it. where Boaz has obviously been taking notice of Ruth. Ruth has, I'm guessing, taking notice of Boaz. And Naomi, as the, as the wise mother-in-law, steps in again. She says, hey, we need to make sure we actually do have security for you and your future and for me in my, in my older age. We're going to try and make an arrangement with Boaz. And what she instructs Ruth is quite a, an odd little thing. Is that she instructs her to essentially sneak into the area where Boaz was. Boaz was, was, was um, sorting out the, the wheat as they did. They threshed out the wheat and got, her, got, got rid of the chaff and that sort of thing. And she knew that Boaz would probably work into the night and sleep in the, in the space that they were in. And so she goes, Ruth, what you need to do is put on your best clothes, put on some perfume, make sure you smell good, look good. And once they're asleep, you need to sneak in, pull the blanket off Boaz and lay at his feet. And as the story unfolds, Boaz, obviously obviously feeling a bit of the chill of the night, wakes up and goes, oh, where's my blanket? Looks down and realizes there's this woman lying at his feet. And this is what happens. Where are we reading? Chapter 3, verse 9. I'll read from verse eight. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over and he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. I'm going to come back to that term, family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it is true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. And if he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here till morning. So, this term, family redeemer. In other uh, Bibles, it's called kingsman redeemer. So this person to redeem the family line. So had died and his sons had died. And in that culture, you know, the name, in a sense, sort of like our surnames, get carried on by the male. And so the ownership of land and the ownership of assets got carried on through the males, didn't get carried on through the females. And so Naomi had lost all that. And so to carry on the name of the lost husband and, 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 and brother to the family, one of the other families, one of the other cousins or brothers could step in as the kinsman Redeemer and redeem that family line. But what that meant was not only to take on the property and the assets of the family, but to take on the widows and quite often to take on the the wife. So if it was a a dead brother that died, they would take on that wife as a second wife and bear children to her that would take on the name and the the heritage of the lost member of the family. Does that make sense? (laughs) So that's what Boaz is talking about here. He's sort of saying, "Oh, look, I'm willing to be your kinsman redeemer. But there's a complication again. He sort of says, but there's actually one more that's more closely related. So he's got first right to it. But he honours Ruth. He says, you've done something so great. You've stepped out and initiated this this action of, of, of redeeming. And we see in that this idea of the Kingsman Redeemer. Is actually mirrored in Jesus. There's there's portions in scripture where they relate to Him as our kinsman redeemer. In that humanity has been broken off from the family of God. Because of sin, we lost that connection. It's as if we we died to the family of God. And the only way for us to get back, you know, there's nothing we could do. We were dead, we're broken from it in our sinfulness. And what it took was someone to step in as our Kingsman Redeemer. It's not something that we could ask for. It's not something we could um, demand. It's not something that we could pay for. It had to be a willing choice. And just like Boaz was willing to step in and say, yep, I'm I'm happy to be your Kingsman Redeemer, it's the same way Jesus came down and said, no, I'm willing to be your Redeemer. So this grace that Boaz offered, you know, Ruth didn't deserve it, Ruth didn't earn it. Boaz voluntarily, willingly offered it. And so just to address that complication, in chapter four, Boaz goes into the, the city in the start of the morning and says, Nope, where's this, where's this? Um, this relation. And he calls him and says, hey, I've got some business to talk through with you. And they call witnesses. This is how it was done in the day. Sort of like having a lawyer sit next to you or something like that. So he called 10 witnesses. He says, hey, got to have a talk to my, 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 my brother here or my cousin here. Let's work this out. And so Boaz says, hey, there's land that's that's belongs to um, Elamech through Naomi. Are you willing to redeem her? And at first he goes, well, yeah, sure he goes, oh, well, just so you're aware, to do that, you also need to marry Ruth, the Moabite. And we don't know what the motivation of the, the other relative was, but he said, oh, look, no, nah, sorry, I can't do that. Can't take on another wife, can't take on another family, I don't know. <laughs> and I could just imagine Boaz going, yes! <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, I wonder if there was that tense bit of silence when he'd asked the, the relative, going, are you willing? Do you want to take on Ruth as your wife? Nah. Yes. <laughs> I reckon he was cheering because I reckon he saw something in Ruth that just was, wow, this, this woman is incredible. This woman just showed such devotion and such, such honour to her mother-in-law. You know, what better woman would I have as a wife? And so we have the, I guess, the, the roundup and the, the, the climax of this beautiful love story. So Boaz took Ro, Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, and I love this, they, they, they don't go to Ruth. Yeah, you know, Ruth, Ruth had this baby, but they go to the, the grandmother and say, good job. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in the land of Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her, her own. The neighbour women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse's and the grandfather of David. I know. I like a good story. And I just love this imagery of, you know, this woman just showing absolute love, absolute consideration and care. For a mother in law. And really, without any agenda, just going in and just loving, showing that devotion. And out of that, God opened opportunity after opportunity for her to actually be part of the family of Christ, part of the genealogy of Christ. And I love the image that, you know, God. God wasn't selective. He had his people, yes. He had the people of Israel. But he wanted all people to be connected. And that's why we have special mention of people like Ruth, who was a Moabite. She was an outsider. But she was redeemed. Just like we were once outsiders, but we're now redeemed. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for just the amazing stories that we have in Scripture, but just how incredible it is, how it just links and paints a picture of the grace that you offer us, of the love that you have for us. And Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that we can be like Ruth, Lord God, that we can just be wholeheartedly devoted to you, Lord God. We've no hidden agendas, with no other desires, Lord God, other than to just to love you and devote ourselves to you. Lord God, we thank you that your son was like Boaz. That he was willing to redeem us. That he was willing to do what it was necessary to see us come back into relationship with him. That we could be part of this completed love story of God redeeming mankind so that we can be in relationship with him and enjoy everything about him. For that, Lord God, we praise you, we honour you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.